appreciate all of those friendly faces. That's a great way to start a sermon, let me tell you. That's wonderful. All right. Here we go. So that's what we're talking about tonight. We're talking about remembering God's promises, and we're also talking about rejoicing in His promises. We're going through our series, People of the Promise. And so we want to see tonight, we're looking at Solomon. So quickly, who was Solomon? We'll do a quick overview of who he was, his background. He was the second son of David and Bathsheba. Remember, their original son had passed away because of David's sin um, with Bathsheba. Solomon was the third king of Israel. So we had Saul first and then David, and now he's the third king coming up. And his name, interestingly, comes from Shalom or peace, which is really fascinating because Solomon in his reign actually brought peace to Israel really for the first time. Uh, they've been in the land of Canaan. They've been in Israel for, for many, many years, and this is really the first time in their existence that they actually have peace. Solomon was best known for a few things, and if you think I alliterated this on purpose, I really didn't. I just read the text, and this is what was there, right? Uh, first of all, his wisdom, right? He prayed and asked God for wisdom to rule the people well. He was also known for his wealth, right? He was the greatest king in all of Israel, um, and really all in that ancient time. Uh, this section, 1 Kings 1 through 9, really goes in great detail as how much wealth he had. Uh, we see that in the fact that he expanded the kingdom uh, through alliances to the point where it's the largest that Israel had ever been and ever really will be, um, humanly speaking. Uh, we also see his wealth in constructing the temple. Now, David had gathered a lot of the things that he needed, but then he expanded on that, and he built the temple. And then, sadly, he was also known for his wives. Like I said, I didn't really plan on alliterating it this way. It's just kind of what's there in the text. Um, and so that kind of is the end of his legacy, which I'm not going to talk about tonight. I get Pastor Conley gets to do that next week. Uh, so he gave me the good years to talk about, and then he gets to come and talk about the not-so-good years. So that's what Solomon is known for. Uh, Solomon also contributed to Scripture. And so if you put all the books of the Bible on a bookshelf, it might look something like this. I use this a lot when I'm teaching kids. It's really fun to kind of show where the book of the Bible is that we're talking about. And so first we see that he wrote Proverbs. He wrote wise words to his son so that he could learn and follow in God's wisdom. He also wrote the Song of Solomon, uh, this beautiful love poetry that he wrote for his bride. And then he also wrote Ecclesiastes. Maybe towards the end of his life, we're not 100% sure exactly when he wrote that, um, but it logically would make sense towards the end of his life. He also is known for writing two psalms, Psalm 72 and Psalm 127. Psalm 127, verse 1 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. And then he's also mentioned in 11 other books of the Bible. And so when I was trying to get ready to prepare for tonight, I was thinking through all of his life and what am I going to cover? That's a lot to cover. So we're going to focus on 1 Kings uh, chapters 1 through 9. So I get to cover nine chapters tonight. Uh, I think Pastor Bates had like 15 verses this morning, and I have a lot more. Um, but it's going to be good, I hope. So Solomon, as we know, did fail the Lord. Um, he really, in Deuteronomy, the Lord gives all the commands that the kings eventually should follow, and Solomon pretty much breaks every single one of those. 
Um, so while he did break almost all of God's commands towards kings, there still are a lot of positive lessons in the first part, the first 20 years of his life that we can still learn. Uh, even though Solomon was not the perfect king or the final king that God had promised. So first of all, we see that we should remember God's promises. We should remember God's promises. So we're going to take a look at 1 Kings 1 through 9. And what I did was I took all the text from my Bible and I copy and pasted it to a Word document. And I put it all in one document so you can kind of track what's going on. Now, I know that's way too small of a text to be able to read, but I think it's helpful to see it kind of all in one page. Uh, so this is it, all right? If you even, you, you can't read it, I promise. It's like two-point font in order to get it on that. That's like a ledger-sized sheet, um, really, really wide margins. But what it does is it helps you kind of track through the story. Um, and so that was my purpose of doing that. Uh, so I know it's not practical for reading, but hopefully it's practical for the goal of looking through and seeing the themes that come up through this. So when you're looking through a big chunk of scripture like this, you're looking for themes, right? You're seeing what is coming up again and again, and that gives you a clue to what this section of scripture is really about. Um, and so we're going to look through that, and we're going to see that this section really talks a lot about God's promises, Talks a lot about other things as well. Uh, if you just did a word search, the word cubit would come up a lot um, as he's talking about the temple and the building. Uh, but really, this section really, to me, it stood out. It was all the promises that God keeps to his people. Before we do that, let's run through it and kind of look at an overview of Solomon's life. Uh, chapters 1 through 2 uh, really tell the story of David passing away. Uh, he's on his deathbed, and he wants Solomon to come and rule in his place. And so we see this transition period. Uh, there's a little bit of turmoil that goes on, but God installs Solomon as the next king. And David gets to see it. That's really neat. Chapters 3 through 4 tells us the account of Solomon's prayer for wisdom. So he falls asleep, and God comes to him in his dream, and he asks God. He says, I am but a child. Right? He's probably maybe 19 years old or so. Um, and he asks God for wisdom. He says, these are a great people, and I need wisdom to rule them well. And so God gives him that wisdom. And then we read about how he uses that wisdom um, when he has the two ladies come to him. Um, they both claim that this is their child. And so he says, well, we're going to cut the baby in two, and then you each get part of it. Right? Pretty, pretty horrible story, but it shows his wisdom. And he knows that the mother of whose child it really is is never going to go for that. And so she says, no, 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 she can have her. And so... Um, he, he sees who the true mother is. Then going on through chapters 5 through 8, we see it's really all about the temple. It's about preparing for the temple. Uh, the Ark of the Covenant comes back into the temple. Um, we talk about all the things that God wanted to be in the temple and how they fitted them together. Uh, what's interesting is all the work that was done on the rocks, the quarry type stuff was done off-site so that all the work that was done at the temple was quiet which is really unique, because if you go to a construction site, what do you normally hear? Tons of noise. But this was built very special uh, to God. It was holy and special to him. And then we read about the dedication for the temple um, in chapters 8. So let's dive in, and we're going to see all the promises that God keeps to his people. First of all, we see that God keeps his promise to David in giving a son. And we're going to see that in a, a few different places. Uh, first of all, there in chapter 1, verse 48. It says, and the king, this is David, says, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who has granted someone to sit on my throne this day, my own eyes seeing it. God had promised him, even though he had sinned, even though he had sinned in horrible ways, he repented. 
He turned away from his sin, and God blessed him, even though he was a sinner, but he was a repentant sinner. And so God blesses him, and one of the blessings was that his son would sit on the throne after him. Then in chapter 2, we read, Now therefore, as the Lord lives, who has established me and placed me on the throne of of David my father, and who has made me a house? So Solomon recognizes the only reason he's there is because of God's promise to his son, his own father. And then we see in chapter 3, verse 6, And Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness and righteousness and in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and given him a son to sit on the throne this day. So again, he's recognizing that God kept his promise. And then we see God's promise of wisdom, right? He promised Solomon wisdom. Solomon asked for it, and God gave it to him. And a lot of other things as well. Verse 12 of chapter 3. Behold, now I do according to your word. This is God talking to David. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you has been before you, and none like you shall arise after you. God keeps this promise. We see this again in chapter 5. Verse 12, it says, And the Lord gave Solomon wisdom as he promised him. God is keeping his promise to his people. He also keeps his promise to Abraham. And we see that come up in just a really small phrase. It's really easy to miss unless you're thinking through all the promises before it. And so we see that God promises a people for Abraham. We see this in 1 Kings 4.20. Judah and Israel were as many as the sand by the sea. They ate and drank and were happy. And so this was coming a thousand years after God's promise to Abraham. Now we see that Solomon is ruling, and while he's ruling, the people were as the sand by the sea. We see this in Genesis 22 was God's promise to Abraham. He says, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. So God keeps his promise even even if it's a thousand years later. He keeps his word to his people. Part of that promise to Abraham was also a promise for land. He gave him a very specific promise that very specific land would be his and his people after him. Um, We see that in in 1 Kings 4.21, we see the land that Solomon is ruling, and that land is the land that was promised to Abraham. We see this, and it says, And Solomon ruled over the kingdoms from the Euphrates to the land of the Philistines, to the border of Egypt. So it's really specific, right? And that's because God gave very specific promises to Abraham that was then passed down to Moses, that was then passed down to Joshua. Read about this in Joshua 1.4. It says, From the wilderness and this Lebanon up north, and as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. So God's very specific in what he's promising to his people. We see this promise in Genesis um, to Abraham. We see this promise again in Exodus is given to Moses. Uh, We see this again in Psalm 72 as Solomon is writing this this prayer uh, to God, remembering what God has promised to him. Here's a modern-day map of this area that we're talking about. Uh, That red line running through it is the Euphrates River. It starts all the way up in Turkey, runs through Syria, all the way down through Iraq. Um, And based on the description that we have in Scripture, this is exactly what God gave to Solomon. So that when Solomon reigned, his kingdom reached all the way to the Euphrates River, all the way over towards the sea, and all the way down to the border with Egypt as well. So God kept his promises that he had made a thousand years before 
came true in a very literal way. And you can actually map it on a map. God also promised to David that he would allow his son to build him a dwelling. And so we see that in chapters 5 through chapters 8. We see this dwelling, this really special place that God had Solomon build for him. We see that in chapter 8, we see Solomon reflecting on this. He's praying a prayer of this dedication, and he says this in verse 20. He says, Now the Lord has fulfilled his promise that he made. For I have risen in the place of David my father, and I sit on the throne of Israel as the Lord promised. And I have built a house, the house, for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. So so he's reflecting back, saying, this was a promise that God had given to my father. Here's an image of a recreation um, of what Jerusalem would have looked like when David came to the throne. Um, So this was the city of Jebus uh, before David came to it, which eventually became Jerusalem. Um, As he came into it, it's kind of an interesting story. We don't have time to get into a lot of the detail, but you can see... Uh, if my pointer is going to work here, oh, uh, you can't really see. Okay, you see that little part at the very bottom that kind of sticks out? It's kind of, it's like you have this walled city and you've got this little part that juts out the bottom. Um, that's because that's where the water comes from in the mountain. All right, that's the Gihon Spring. Um, and so what's fascinating about this, you can go to Jerusalem today. I, I was there in 2013. You can actually go in these tunnels. It's really amazing. Um, But this is what it would have looked like um, back in David's day. Um, David, in order to take the city, sends his army, and they actually find that there's a tunnel around this area that they actually tunnel in through and come up in the middle of the city and take the city. Um, So just geography right there, that's that's at play in this story. And so this is what the city would have looked like as David came uh, to it. As he he comes, he builds his temple, or he builds his palace at the top of it, Um, And so you can kind of see how easy it was for him at the top of the mountain to kind of look down over everything else, which is why the story of Bathsheba shows him in his palace looking down, um, seeing what he should not have seen. But that's why, because the geography is built that way. Solomon then comes to the throne after him and expands the city northward. And so the city goes up. Uh, This is where the temple was built at the top of the mountain. Um, Then his palace is just kind of south of that Um, But it would have been the high point of the city. Everybody would have seen it from miles around. If you come to this area, you would have seen the temple on the hill. Here's another picture looking kind of down on the temple. The temple building uh, took over seven years to complete. Uh, It included uh, things like gold and silver. And they kept very specific account of how much gold and how much silver. Um, But then when it comes to how much bronze they used, they basically said, we don't even know. Like, we stopped counting, right? There's so much bronze in this thing. Um, they used marble, fine woods. The temple was one of the wonders of the world. Uh, people would come from all over to see this, to see not only the temple, but also Solomon's wealth. Um, the temple itself was built with a lot of, obviously, gold, but it was also built in the imagery of a garden. And so within the temple, you're going to see a lot of palm trees, open flowers, with this imagery kind of reminding us of this place that God had dwelt with man originally. And so it's it's a reminder of the Garden of Eden itself. Um, It's also facing east, which means that was the direction that Adam and Eve left the garden uh, when they were forced out uh, because of their sin. And so coming back to God, we come back from the east to go into his temple, uh, which is in the west. Um, So just really amazing imagery. I wish we had more time to go into all of that. We don't 
um, but you can go online. There's, I found at least a 10-minute video that goes through this entire 3D rendering of it, um, and you can just see all the intricate detail uh, that was put into this special place for God to dwell with his people. And even though it was a really magnificent building, Solomon knew that even with all the splendor, that it was incapable of truly housing the God of the universe. And so it's amazing that God still chooses to dwell there, even though it wasn't capable of holding his presence. God chose to be there with his people. We see that in 1 Kings 8, verses 27 through 28. He says, But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven in the highest heaven cannot contain you, how much less this house that I have built. Yet I have regard, yet have regard to the prayer of your servant and to his plea. O Lord my God, listen to the cry and to this prayer that your servant prays before you this day. And God does. He answers his prayer. He comes in a magnificent way, and his presence fills this building um, in a very special way to be with his people. And then the final promise that we see in the first eight chapters is the promise of rest. He gives rest to his people. In 1 Kings 8.56, Solomon says this as part of his prayer. He says, Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel, according to all that he promised. Not one word has failed of all his good promise, which he spoke by Moses, his servant. And so he's reflecting again on this promise that God had given to give the people rest. And so again, in all of their history, they haven't had a time period like this. There's no wars going on, no major fights going on. God has given the land and the people rest. And he's even given them a leader whose name is coming from Shalom, peace. And so these are all the promises that God gives to his people. And they're the promises that we see in this text. And so we should remember God's promises because he keeps them. All of those promises. So you can see the theme of remembering God's promises is all throughout this first part of Solomon's life. But he didn't just remember God's promises. He and all the people rejoiced together in God's promises. And so we see that you should rejoice in God's promises. Not enough just to think about them, but we should actually rejoice. And we should do it together, right? And that's what we see here. First of all, we see that we should rejoice together in song, right? That's what the people do. When they are excited about God's promises to them and keeping his promises, you know what they do? They sing about it. They make music about it. They are so loud that the Bible says that the earth splits, right? It's that kind of noise. And so we see that in 1 Kings 1, 39 through 40. As the people learn about this new King Solomon that has come to the throne, they're rejoicing in this. And they, it, this is what happens. There, Zadok the priest took the horn of oil from the tent and anointed Solomon. This is down at the Gihon Spring. Remember that little part that juts out? Um, so they're at the Gihon Spring. And then they blew the trumpet, and all the people said, Long live King Solomon! And all the people went up after him, playing on pipes and rejoicing with great joy so that the earth was split by their noise. Like a Super Bowl, right? Just so much noise and excitement and joy and music because God had kept his promise to his people. Now, when I say together in song, I don't say that this is exactly what a Sunday morning worship service looks like here. Um, there are different levels of appropriateness, right, for where we worship and how we worship. Um, but this just goes to show that when people are excited about God's promises, 
they join together in great joy and great music, exalting God together. So we rejoice together in song. We also rejoice together in prayer. And that's what David does in chapter 8. Verses 22 and 24 is the, the little bit that we're going to look at. Uh, it goes on for quite a long time. If you've ever sat here and thought, wow, this prayer is kind of long, um, that's not anything compared to this prayer, right? Um, David or Solomon had a very long prayer uh, exalting God and asking very specific things from God. But we'll look at the two verses here. In 1 Kings 8, 22 and 24, it says, Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands toward heaven and said, O Lord God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth beneath, keeping covenant and showing steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with all their heart. You have kept with your servant David my father what you declared to him, you spoke with your mouth, and your hand have fulfilled this day. And so he spends a lot more time in prayer, in very specific prayers. Um, he talks a lot about uh, when these people forget about you, forgive them when they turn back to the temple. If they go off to this foreign land and they're way away, but if they turn back towards the temple and pray, remember them, forgive them. And he goes through all these different settings of people sinning, and if they repent, Forgive them if they turn back towards the temple. And the point was not the building, right? The point was that was where God was. So when people turn from their sin and their troubles and turn to God, he forgives us. And he's there. But the story doesn't finish there, does it? Next, we see God's promise of blessing, but also of punishment. So before... Uh, we finish, we have to look at this part of God's promise of blessing for Solomon if he follows or his promise of punishment if he turns. All right, let's do this. Uh, 1 Kings 9, 1 through 9 says this. It says, as soon as Solomon had finished the building of the house of the Lord, right? So it's done, it's finished, right? It's been built, it's beautiful, it's wonderful. Then God comes to Solomon and talks to him. And he gives him both a promise of blessing and a promise of punishment. If he turns from him. Sorry. It says, And the Lord appeared to Solomon a second time, as he had appeared to him at, at Gibeon. And the Lord said to him, I have heard your prayer and your plea, which you have made before me. And I have consecrated this house that you have built by putting my name there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. And as for you, if you walk before me, as David your father walked with integrity of heart and uprightness, doing according to all that I have commanded you and keeping my statutes and rules, then I will establish your royal throne forever, as I promised David your father, saying that you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. But if you turn aside... Sorry. I think there's some water here. I think that would be a good break, right? There's, there's good moments to take some pause, right? And it tastes like peach. That's amazing. Very cool. I'm going to, can I preach more often? I like this, this peach water. Um, hopefully, hopefully no one else drink out of that. We'll find out. Um, so back to it. Um, so he says, if you follow after me, I will bless you. But if you turn from me, we get to that next. 
Um, he says this, he says, but if you turn aside from following me or your children and do not keep my commandments and my statutes that I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them, right? Do you, do you see some foreshadowing here grammatically and all that fun stuff? He says in verse seven, then I will cut off Israel from the land that I've given them and the house that I've consecrated for my name, I will cast out of out my sight and Israel will become a proverb and a byword among the peoples. And this house will become a heap of ruins. This beautiful building will become ruins. So that, to the point where everyone passing by it will be astonished and will hiss. Right? Imagine that. People walking by this pile of rubber and going, Sss. right? They're remembering why. And they will say, why has the Lord done thus to this land, to this house? Then they will say, because they abandoned the Lord their God who brought their fathers out of the land of Egypt and laid hold on other gods and worshiped them and served them. Therefore, the Lord has brought all this disaster upon them. And this is exactly what we find Solomon doing in 1 Kings chapter 11, um, in which I'm not going to cover all of that tonight, but it's good to look forward to this to know that it's coming. Solomon turned his heart from following God and began following the false gods of his many foreign wives. In 1 Kings 11, we read this, verses 7 and 8 says, Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Molech, the abomination of the Ammonites, and on the mountain of east, east of Jerusalem. So literally on the mountain across from the temple, literally if you looked straight out of the temple, you would see this false god being worshipped. So that he did this for all his foreign wives who made offerings and sacrifice to their gods. And that's what we know of Solomon. That's how his legacy kind of ends. Now again, it's possible he wrote Ecclesiastes towards the end of his life, looking back on the emptiness of, of pursuing things other than God. Uh, we don't know that for sure. And that might be on purpose, right? It might be good for us to kind of not know exactly how the story ends, because it's a warning for all of us. If we turn from God, there's punishment and there's destruction. So while this is a terribly sad end to his life story, it's not the end of the story of the Bible and the end of God's story and the end of the story of his promised king. And so we also rejoice together in Christ, who is our promised king. In our kids' ministry, we use the Generations of Grace curriculum. It's uh, John MacArthur's church out in California. It's called Generations of Grace. Um, and in one of their lessons about Solomon, this was their, um, they call it the spotlight of the gospel. And this was their summary of this. It says, Solomon, the wisest man to ever live, failed to perfectly keep God's law or providing lasting peace to Israel. But his descendant, Jesus Christ, succeeded where Solomon failed. Unlike Solomon, Jesus lived every moment of his life according to godly wisdom. He perfectly fulfilled God's will, even to the point of death. By his life, death, and resurrection, Jesus provides forgiveness and life to all who believe. Those who believe are then called to follow Jesus's wise example. So hopefully you can see why I like to use this curriculum. It's very good at pointing us towards the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we see in Jesus' life, um, he mentions Solomon in Matthew chapter 12. Uh, we see in, in Matthew 12, in Jesus' day, the Pharisees were asking for a sign. They wanted, they wanted proof that Jesus was really God. They're, they're really challenging him. And so they ask Jesus for a sign, and Jesus says that the only sign that they would see was the sign of Jonah, right? Meaning that he was going to be buried and rise again in three days. And then Jesus continues in verse 42 right here. 
And he says, the queen of the south, right, the queen of Sheba, who I didn't cover tonight, but she came to visit Solomon. It says, the queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. He was pointing to himself. He was the perfect promised king that was greater than Solomon. And so we're going to close in a moment singing all glory be to Christ. It's one of that, one of the phrases in there says, his rule and reign will ever sing all glory be to Christ. So we're going to close in prayer and then we're going to rejoice together singing this song to God. Let's pray. God, we praise you because you keep your promises. Not one word has failed from all of your good promises. So Lord, we ask that you would incline our hearts to walk in your ways. Help us to keep your commandments so that all the people on the earth will know that you are God. Keep us from loving anything else but you, above you. Help us to remember your promises and rejoice in them. We thank you for your son, Jesus, our promised king. Thank you that his rule and reign will last forever. And thank you that your promise that one day you will dwell again with your people forever.